my face Since you walked out the door Won't you please come home I couldn't stand five more Hello and welcome to episode 872 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus presented by our Patreon supporters and the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Ben Lindberg of 538, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Yo. It is a new-ish season, and one of the things that happens in a new-ish season is we get to meet new prospects. So there have been a bunch of prospect call-ups and debuts in April. There are going to be a couple more tomorrow. And so to talk about those, to do a little... Are you a primer man or a primer man, Sam? Well, there's only one... (laughs) Way to say the word. So oh, I'm, there are two ways. No, there's, yep. um, there's, there sure are. There's not. I'm guessing you're a primer man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a primer man. That's <laughs> <So laughs> not. That's not how it's pronounced, Ben. In some countries, it is. Hey, what do you call it when there's a part of the song that, like, say, there's a song at the beginning of the album, and then later in the album, they uh, they have a prize. Another... Oh my! You're kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> not a repriser. But that's the word. <laughs> well, these are the new revelatory slash revelatory on this podcast. I'm a primer man, and therefore we are doing a prospect primer slash primer on the new players that we have come to see this season. And so to talk about that, to give us a little guided tour of these guys, we are talking to someone you are familiar with if you read Baseball Prospectus or listen to other BP podcasts. Craig Goldstein, who is BP's minor league editor. Hello, Craig. Hello. So, well, first of all, is this season sort of like the day after Christmas for people who are interested in prospects after the enormous just onslaught wave of prospects who came to the majors last year, sort of a historically unprecedented crop of debuts? Is this just a total letdown of the guys who are left after that wave? I don't think it's quite that bad. Um, we've seen, I mean, we've had a BP top five prospect come up and who looks to stay up the rest of the year at this point. Um, and so that's that's a pretty good way to go about it at this point. But if you wanted to call it, you know, Boxing Day to Christmas, I wouldn't say you're wrong. My girlfriend's family has a whole big party on Boxing Day. It's like bigger than Christmas for them. It's crazy. That's less crazy than calling it primer and reprise <laughs> and declaring that that's normal. <laughs> I, I'm a primer man myself. All right. <laughs> I'm stacking the deck. That's why we had you on, actually. <laughs> I genuinely don't even mind you call you saying primer. I mind you claiming it's correct. <laughs> like, I it's fine. I believe it is like, an like, accepted have, pronunciation. I have, I have things in my life that I do that are, that are wrong, you know? I, I just don't, I don't brag about them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bad flosser. Okay. Now you know. It's my secret shame. It's secret because I don't brag about. It. I don't like walk around going. You know, flossing's bad for you. <laughs> I remember there was a. Um, remember that infomercial guy? Not he was. He was kind of an infomercial guy. I forget his name, but like ten years ago, he was a pretty big deal because he had this book of like miracle cures and like his whole thing was that all the drugs were bad for you and that the only way you could get healthy was with his like you know like drinking you know lemon rinds instead of taking <laughs> cancer pills. Sure. And I forget his name, but my... He probably died. In my my family, <laughs> my wife and I had a, a long-running joke that we would say about 40 times a day, which was uh, like uh, one of the lines from his infomercial. 
The sun doesn't cause cancer. Sunscreen causes cancer. This is you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I will work on my pronunciation infomercial. So, Craig, uh, BP usually runs a call-up post on the site whenever a prospect of note comes up. And I believe there have been nine of those thus far or in the next day or so. Give us your biggest prospect crush in this group. Is there anyone you've been following for a while? Anyone whose story or stuff you like or or anyone you're particularly excited to see in the future? Yeah, Nomar Mazzara is quite easily atop that list for me. There's a lot of interesting guys below him, but as I alluded to before, he's a top five prospect for us at BP on the 101, and it's just been something that's kind of a long time coming. He set the record for international bonuses when he signed with Texas in 2011, and it, you know, at that point, even though he got more money than Ronald Guzman, who's only at Double A for Texas, Guzman was kind of considered the better prospect, and Mazzara has just kind of steadily. I, I say steadily, but he he's in the majors, and I think he turned 21 last week. So uh, steadily, but also quickly, just ascended the minor league ranks and become a more complete player. He's defense was never his strong suit, but he's actually made some impressive plays in right field, and he's going to make it really hard for Texas to send him back to AAA once uh, Shinsu Chu returns from his injury. Yeah, so he has. OPSing 906 right now. Not that you would expect that of of any prospect or or almost any player, but was the expectation that he would make a very smooth transition? It, it was not like a, a Joey Gallo kind of thing where it was expected that there would be some struggles. I think that's right. He's affectionately known online, um, courtesy of Tepid P, who's a, a Rangers uh, minor league aficionado, and as the big chill. He just kind of takes everything in stride. He's very relaxed. It's it. I mean, looking at him, he's a huge guy. So you wouldn't necessarily think this guy is is a young kid, but he just has the demeanor of someone older and is very steady at the plate in the field. Just takes whatever comes to him. And so his transition being relatively smooth, despite it being early, isn't a big surprise. I you know I think nine hundred is would be an aggressive mark to hit in terms of OPS in terms of expectations, but. I certainly think that he's someone who I, I wouldn't expect a huge regression. And his biggest struggles right now is facing left-handed pitching, and he hasn't been as good against lefties in the majors. And that's not really a big surprise. He hasn't faced guys of that quality, and I do expect him to adjust at least to some degree and to continue mashing righties, you know, as as his career continues. I'm uh, I'm looking at a headline right now. I believe it's the Dallas Morning News, and the headline is. Nomar Mazzara is looking more and more like Mike Trout with every swing. Is that is that a, is is that absurd just because of how wildly it misses? His neck um, is just getting thicker and thicker. Is that absurd because it just uh, wildly overstates how good he is, or is it also absurd because there's not much? Is is there much of a similarity in the style of play, in the style of prospect they are, in the style of you know early career they should have? No, I mean it's it. Yes, it is crazy. It's there's no, there aren't many similarities between the two as prospects aside from being extremely good prospects or extremely good major leaguers. I, I think down the line, um, I I wouldn't expect any sort of ten ten war seasons out of Mazzara. I mean, first of all, just from a scouting standpoint, he doesn't have speed like Trout has speed. He's not a quick guy, and he's probably only going to slow down. Like I said, he just turned twenty one. He's already 
he, he's a very large man as it is, and I wouldn't expect him to retain you know, the speed of his youth as he ages. So he, he's very much, he's already a corner outfielder. And, uh, you know, I know Trout played corner when he came up at, at least a decent amount, but Mazzara couldn't play center. There was speculation that he'd have to move to first down the line. I, I think that is somewhat further down the line than others, perhaps, but it's certainly a possibility. And so Mazzara is very much about his bat first and foremost, and any contributions on defense, I think, are really, at this point, something of a bonus. And I guess for a top five prospect, the answer is probably both, but was that aggressive ranking more because of his ceiling or because of his probability of reaching whatever his ceiling is? I mean, is he a a true middle-of-the-order masher as much as anyone who was in the minors, at least until recently? Yeah, I think being reasonably confident in you know, a 285 plus hitter and 25 or more home runs is a really high bar. And I think the, and and that's, I'm reasonably confident he can do that year in and year out. I think when you get to his ceiling, you're talking about someone who could be a 300 hitter. He's obviously, he's doing that in his first taste of the majors. And he's, he's been very good about making adjustments throughout his career. So I, I wouldn't put that out of the question. And I think he's got the raw power to certainly hit 30 plus, you know, whether those things come together and coalesce in a single season. And he, you know, he does something that's 315 and 35 homers. Um, you know, that's harder to predict, but I don't, I think he has a skill set that that could happen. Well, being, again, like I said, reasonably confident that he's somewhere closer to the 285-plus average 25-plus homer range. Um, and that's and that's why he ended up in our top five. It's why he was our top Rangers prospect. And and that's not, not anything to sneeze at. I mean, they had Joey Gallo and they had Lewis Brinson. And, you know, all of those guys are very good. So I think our placing Mazzara on top of those two was something of a, a statement of our belief of what he could do and how quickly he could do it. So maybe the answer to this next question is Nomar Mazzara, but if it isn't, or if it is, you can give me the second best answer. Who among these prospects is the biggest upgrade for his team and or the biggest potential factor in a playoff race this season? So those are those are potentially different questions because a lot of the prospects who have come up or are coming up tomorrow are not necessarily on playoff teams. I mean, we're talking about guys like Max Kepler and Jose Barrios from the Twins. We're talking about Malik Smith on the Braves, Trevor Story. I don't think we wrote a call up, but obviously he he's made a name for himself at this point for Colorado. You know, so the, there are some guys on teams that aren't going to the playoffs. I think Barrios is probably the, one of the biggest upgrades immediately. Um, but the Twins' start to the season doesn't really engender hope that they'll be a, a competitive playoff team. I, I still think, you know, going from a struggling Kyle Gibson or, you know, Tyler Duffy, I think, is in their rotation at this point. I, I think Barrios is a significant upgrade on, on both of those guys, or, you know, if you want to say Ricky Nolasco. There are a lot of guys he's an upgrade on for Minnesota. Um, I, I think he's ready right now. I think he's his his production or, or his stat line might not read as well due to some defensive issues. And the, we kind of saw that in his debut last night that, you know, Byron Buxton has been sent down. They don't really have a great defensive outfield at this point. Danny Santana didn't get to a ball that Buxton probably would have that fell for a hit and, and went for runs. Uh, I think there was a misplay by Arcia that resulted in a run. And so it, it might not look it just from if you're looking at the stat line, but if you're watching these guys pitch and just the difference between giving the team a chance to win. I think Barrios is probably that guy if we're if we're not talking about Mazzara. 
Uh-huh. And is there a particular tool or pitch that stands out among these guys? Just uh, just one aspect of any of these players that will just immediately be eye-catching? I mean, again, the the hit and power from Azara are there. I mean, he hit a home run his first his first game in the majors. I, I think he's, you know, I don't want to harp on him too much, but he's the guy to really look at. Malik Smith is a plus-plus runner. Uh, that's certainly eye-catching. I really, we did one for Blake Snell. I don't know when or if he'll be back up in the majors this year. I th- certainly think he has the talent to. The, the Rays are extremely methodical in how they uh, promote their players. He ended up starting because Erasmo Ramirez was used in relief, in, in emergency relief in a game. Um, and so he was no longer able to start. And so they used Snell. Uh, but if you look at their track record, they, they keep pitchers in the in the in triple a and really hitters too in triple a until they really believe they're ready to succeed uh, i mean if you you can go back in their history uh, a guy like desmond jennings i think had over a thousand triple a at bats so for snell he's only i think had seven or ten starts there he he has not had close to a full season so i think he's a guy that you watch he he was throwing a beautiful curveball in his debut. Um, he used it to freeze up Brian Can multiple times. His fastball is really good. Uh, I think it borders on plus plus at times. So th- there are guys like that. But for Snell, I I just don't know when or if. I don't think it's a given he'll be back up right after the Super Two deadline uh, passes in June, just because of the how the Rays do things. But I do think if he was up, he would qualify as an answer to that question. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about Max Kepler yet. He was up very briefly last year, and then he was called up again and got his call-up post this season. He is an interesting player because of his background and because of his skill set. Where do you stand on him? Yeah, I'm not as high on him as others in the prospect community, which shouldn't mean to say that I, I don't like him. I think he the, the progress he's made in, in recent years is marked. And I, I don't know that I kind of tend to be a little slower to adjust to guys who make these huge improvements in a short time, just because I, I like to see it play out over a longer period of time before I buy in. And that certainly leaves me behind on on certain guys. And that, that could be the case with Kepler. I'm, I'm just not to the point where I believe he's going to contribute meaningfully kind of this year. Although I think the experience of being at the major league level is obviously a valuable one in terms of development, and I, I think certainly think the upside is there for him to be able to hit for both average and power. And he's a pretty athletic guy. Although I, I know that our reports say that he he could end up at first base down down the line, just because he's growing into this frame and is is going to be a bigger guy. I certainly think that. You know, it, it might behoove the Twins to let him play in a corner again. The, their outfield defense is a is a problem, especially with Miguel Sano out there. And, and Sano actually made some nice plays at third last last night, and he was able to do so last year as well. And I, I think Trevor Plouffe aside, the, their best lineup and defense going forward, you know, beyond 2016 might include Sano at third and, and Kepler in one of the corners. So I have a few questions about guys who are not up yet in three very different circumstances. Uh, why is Trey Turner uh, still in the minors? I, at this point, it's hard to say anything beyond stubbornness on the Nationals' part. I, he was up last year and logged not an insignificant number of days in terms of service time. So if they're really trying to 
hold back an extra year of of you know uh, retaining his his rights and the ability to to hold his rights in the future i i think that they're costing themselves at this point because he's he's destroying triple a he was very good at AAA last year. He definitely struggled in the majors, but at this point they're running out Steven Drew and Danny Espinoza, and it's hard to imagine that even a struggling Trey Turner wouldn't be, or the Nationals wouldn't be better served by letting him take his lumps at the big league level and try and adjust than relying on the likes of Steven Drew. I, I don't have a good answer for you as to why. I, I think he's probably ready to face that test. I don't think it that there's, I don't want to imply that there's going to be immediate success if and when he does get to the majors, as we saw last year. But I, I do think that it makes all the sense in the world for them to give him that chance now so that he's a little more suited to or adjusted to major league pitching by the time that they're, you know, entering the playoffs if they continue their pace. Yeah, if they were trying to keep an extra year of control, they'd have to wait basically until june yeah i think it was like 40 days right something like yeah and that's just to that i mean that he'd still be a super two so they'd be saving you know a couple million bucks in the seven year forecast which hardly seems worth it yeah alex reyes is suspended do you know what he does while he's suspended is it the case that if you know if he were deemed to be ready and an upgrade in the cardinals rotation uh as soon as he's eligible uh, will he be in game shape? Can he like? Is he allowed to be do? Like, I don't know where he is. Is he pitching for the Sugarland Skeeters or something? My understanding is that he's in their spring training facility, and I believe he can participate in extended spring. Uh, he was allowed to throw during spring training, and I, I think that continues along with extended spring. So I think physically, yeah, he could be deemed game ready because he can be throwing with someone and and around their facility. But I certainly think most teams would never you know do that without getting them into an actual game action ahead of time yeah and if not for the suspension uh is he a guy who we would be talking about as being called up around this time or was he going to spend the better part of the year in double or triple a anyway in your estimation i would assume the latter again you know not exactly like the rays but the cardinals the cardinals also benefit and and this is true of the rays and their pitching prospects too of, of generally having rotation depth and so they d- haven't always had the need to call on these guys um, at the first opportunity that they'd be ready. And, uh, you know, we've seen that with guys like Carlos Martinez, who spent time in the bullpen, and Trevor Rosenthal converted to the bullpen and things like that. So I, I think Reyes, in all likelihood, I think it's more likely likely we see his debut as a reliever at this point, um, including the suspension. And I think that I do think that's he's a starter long term, but I, I don't think the Cardinals have a problem breaking in guys in that fashion, um, kind of the Earl Weaver fashion. And I do think that that probably was the case anyway, unless they ran into a number of injuries. But again, they do have a lot of AAA rotation depth in general. So I, I think it was always um, a little unlikely that he'd come up early in the season as a starter. And is there anything that the Nationals are doing with Lucas Giolito in AA that suggests that they are keeping his innings down or keeping him like available for October, for September, for August? Um, not, not to my knowledge. I saw him, I don't know, a week, 10 days ago. And I mean, he, he's only, I don't think he's reached five innings yet, but he also, at least in my one game viewing, uh, was fairly inefficient. He was getting hit a little bit and just he he didn't look kind of at his best 
So I think it just hasn't been the smoothest year for Giolito so far, and that his lack of innings is more a function of him not getting to those innings than him being prevented from throwing them. And if you do like watching starting pitcher prospects, tomorrow, Friday, will be a good day for you. There are two prospects debuting, Sean Manaya for the A's and Michael Fulmer for the Tigers. What do you expect from these guys, and, and what are their arsenals, and what are their skills and weaknesses? So Manaya was, he's been known for, for quite a while. He was the guy who the Royals kind of famously took at, I think, 34th overall. They took Hunter Dozier, which was a big surprise, uh, I think, in the top 10, and saved money to spend on Manaya, who kind of burst onto the scene as a Cape Cod League guy, throwing like 98. And he had never really shown that before in his college career. And I think he was at Indiana State. And he's famously battled you know, numerous injuries. He had a hip injury that kept him out. But he's kind of retained his health the last couple years and kind of established himself as a top tier pitching prospect or, you know, maybe second tier pitching prospect, but still very good. He can hit the upper 90s from the left side and I think he'll sit, you know, low to mid 90s. His slider is the most obvious kind of fun pitch. It's his best off speed pitch and he's got a change up that can be about average. I, I think really everything works off his fastball if he can command it. And if he's not missing the zone, he's going to get guys to bite on the slider because it does kind of uh, mimic the fastball, you know, a, a lot of the way to the plate and then has depth and break to it. So he's someone who I think, again, you know, barring health, I would imagine he's going to be, I think he's going to be subject to the, you know, traditional struggles that rookies face. You know, they're facing better talent than they ever have before for the most part. But I, I still do see... Uh, relatively, I see some success in the relative immediate future for him. And I do think that he, I mean, Bob Melvin has said that he anticipates that he's going to be up for the long haul. So I, I wouldn't expect this to be a Blake Snell situation. As far as Fulmer, everything for, for him kind of depends on the quality of his slider. That kind of took a major step forward in 2015 and his prospect status did uh, as well. And, and that's actually similar to another guy who I expect to be up later in the year, a guy like Cody Reed, but for, for the Reds. But Fulmer, I think, is someone who I could have mentioned as, you know, having a major impact in a playoff race. I, the Tigers are, the Tigers are a weird team. They're kind of, they're kind of like the, uh, the fantasy strategy stars and scrubs team. Um, but he's a guy that, you know, their rotation is relatively thin and that's kind of been a, a a thing for them for years, but I think he's someone who can step in. And if his slider is as good as it was in 2015, he has the stuff to survive as a back end starter in the major in the majors. And that's something that they haven't really had as a reliable option, you know, to call up from their minors the last several years. So it, the other thing with Fulmer though is uh, health. He hasn't always been healthy. He missed significant parts of uh, 2013 and 2014. So how long he can go into the season or how comfortable they are with him accruing innings is somewhat of an open question. Well, Edmis Diaz is <laughs> hitting 468 with a 500 OBP and an 823 slugging percentage. I was hoping you wouldn't bring him up. <laughs> well, he didn't qualify for a prospect list or a prospect call-up post, and I assume there's a reason for that, and this is just Cardinals Devil's Magic. Yeah, I, you know, I... <laughs> 
I don't have an explanation for what he's doing, really. I it, it doesn't make sense to me. No, like no part of it. I mean, he's hitting four sixty eight. He's walking more than he's striking out. He's striking out four and a half percent again. You know, it's it's twenty games, so that is what it is. I can't explain this. I I don't. I <laughs> I, I I he was someone who it, over the last couple of years people would bring up, and I thought this was a good example of kind of someone who wasn't worth the couple million dollars that they spent to sign him at the time. So, you know, I'm I'm happy to eat my hat, uh, but the answer is I certainly don't know because I, I thought he was not worth the couple million they spent to sign him. The other um, guy who started with this incredible season, Trevor Story, and who's now slowed down, normally what I would do, normally what people do here is they, they read you the, the, you know, the hot start line and then the cold next stage line and say, which one's closer? And then you go somewhere in the middle. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to let you have that. So what I'm going to do is read you the cold line, which is 167, 273, 354 after the first six games. So in the games, in the 14 or whatever games after that, He's got a, uh, you know, 620 OPS in course. All right. And then his overall line, which is the in the middle line, 241, 304, 651, which is a 9655 OPS in course field. So we got 955 OPS for a course field hitter, 620 OPS for a course field hitter. Which one of those is closer to what he is? I think the 620, honestly. Uh, he's some, I, I think contact was always the question with him. I think he's striking out like over 35% right now, something like that. I, you know, we can talk about, we, we always talk about that it's a, it's a game of adjustment and it's clear that the league is adjusting. I don't think he's incapable of adjusting back. He's gone through, he's, you know, he's gone through rough years in the minors and adjusted and, you know, worked his way up to kind of what we saw or what we're seeing at this point. But the power is real. He's a, he's a very, very much a power hitter. So if you told me he was going to slug 500, I wouldn't doubt it, but I think he's probably more of a 450, and I think his average is going to mean that his OBP is a lot closer to the low 300s, and so I guess that's a little closer to the 650 that we talked about than the 900. All right, and uh, you are not one of these prospect people who stops paying attention to the prospects after they make the majors. It's like, all right, they made it, and now I don't care anymore who's the next guy. You continue to watch players after they make the major leagues. Is there any one from last season's crop of prospects whose development you are paying particularly close attention to this year? Yeah, I think it's someone who there, there are a few guys I think that are pretty interesting. I think I I grew up a Dodgers fan, so Jock Peterson has been really interesting to me. Just his entire story as I think an eleventh round pick originally, and he ended up a top prospect. He went thirty thirty in Triple A. And he was so good the first half of last year, 20 home runs, and then so, so bad that he barely got any playing time towards the end of the season into the postseason. Um, and I think he's a relatively pivotal guy for L.A. I, they're a very deep club, and they have a lot of options. Guys like uh, Enrique Hernandez can fill in in center. Trace Thompson, who they acquired this offseason. But at the same time, if Peterson can play to the, I don't know, the 70th percentile of his abilities, he's probably a star, and that's a big difference maker uh, in terms of their lineup. I mean, if he can be an everyday guy rather than merely a platoon guy with huge strikeouts rates, that's that's a significant piece in their lineup and, and adds to the depth of their lineup 
in a way that I, I don't think Enrique Hernandez or Trace Thompson really does. And so I think, you know, just the dichotomy of those two half seasons for him, I, I would really like to see what I'm lo- looking at what he's doing going forward uh, this year and kind of where he's going to end up on that spectrum. So I, I think if I had one guy, that's that's probably him. His brother is in our book about fifty times too, by the way. <laughs> oh, really? As yeah, Javier Baez's brother's in the book like uh, one and a half times. As far as ball players, Javi's brother is better than Jock's brother, in yes. my opinion. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm blanking on Jock's brothers. I know he has Champ, Tiger, Tiger, Tiger right? That's right. Tiger, no, I, Tiger with a Y. Right. Tiger with a I y. did know that. I knew there's Tiger and Champ and Jock. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, why did you just badmouth Enrique Hernandez? I would have thought that uh, we all love him. <laughs> I do, I do love him. I but he, the, I I didn't intend to badmouth him. I I think you know Jock Jock Peterson at his like I said like 70th percentile of his kind of OFP or whatever you want to call it is uh, is better than than Enrique Hernandez. Who I, but I think his his best ability is that he can be exactly what he is in a lot of different positions. So I don't think you want to rely on him to necessarily be a platoon guy uh, so much as someone who can fill in without much of a drop-off kind of all over the field or in the lineup. Enrique Hernandez has out-hit Mookie Betts in their careers. <laughs> I, that, well, that's I, I suppose that's a fact, but it's also something of a hot take. <laughs> all right. And uh, lastly, is there anyone Sam didn't ask about earlier who is slated to arrive sometime soon that you are looking forward to? Yeah, I think there are there are a number of guys. Number of guys. I mentioned Cody Reed. Uh, I think along with I think the Reds are an interesting team to watch in general. They have they have Cody Reed who's hurt right now. He's got a lacerated finger, so not throwing a ton right now. But uh, I do think he has the chance to be up uh, later this year. Robert Stevenson has been up twice for the Reds. Jesse Winker should come up at some point. All of these guys are top one on one prospects and are certainly interesting and worth watching. I think the Astros' first base situation is going to be interesting. Uh, I know Tyler White got off to that great start, but A.J. Reed is kind of lying in wait. He's not been extremely productive in the immediate, you know, right to start the season. But uh, I think whenever they deem him to be ready, he's probably a true talent upgrade over a guy like White. And I don't know if they might be interested in pushing his timetable up given their lackluster start to the season you know we mentioned Turner I I think other guys kind of towards the top of our list include Tyler Glass now Orlando Arcia and Tim Anderson who you know all all are I think top 20 prospects for us and have the ability to be impact guys I think Arcia probably the least of them just because the Brewers uh, aren't really playing for a ton but Glass now and Anderson could certainly have impacts on playoff races in the short term Mookie Betts has produced one win above replacement every 110 plate appearances in his career. Enrique Hernandez has produced one win above replacement every 115 plate appearances in his career. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Enrique Hernandez is one of the... I he's mean, better than Jock Peterson, wouldn't you say? I would say he's been better than Jock <laughs> Peterson, certainly. Um, he's He also has the benefit, although Peterson has had this benefit as well, of almost never playing against same-side pitching or playing predominantly against opposite-hand pitching, I should say. And uh, he really does crush lefties, which helps. All right. Well, I would say that was a pretty good prospect primer. Would you say that was a pretty good prospect primer, Craig? I thought it was a great prospect primer. I don't yeah. even, you know, the, the thing that really, the genius, Ben, of what you've done here uh-huh. is that you've 
turn this into a thing where I look like the crazy person who cares. <laughs> when I'm not, you're gaslighting me. I'm just a guy who says the word. And you're trying to convince me that this reality that I've always known is false or something. And it's making me agitated. And now I look, I look unhinged. I look uncool. I look like I don't like myself right now. I don't like what I've been the last 37 minutes. And like this is really very crafty what you've done. You have taken the upper hand in this relationship. And all you've done to do it is mispronounce a word aggressively. <laughs> would, Sam, That's all it took. Sam, and then would you, reprise that pronunciation at the end of the podcast. Would you say it feels a little bit like don't diabetes right now? Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> all right. We are finished. Craig, thank you. You can read Craig's work at Baseball Prospectus. You can hear him on other Baseball Prospectus podcasts. You can follow him on Twitter at C.D. Goldstein. Thank you for coming on again. Thank you for having me. All right. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectively wild. Five people who have supported us already. Mark Eschen, Danny Pankratz, Lord Byron. Thank you, Lord Byron. Anton Bezdenezik. Sorry, Anton, if I primered the pronunciation of your name. And Yoram Batner. Thanks. The countdown to our book publication continues. It is now at five days. May 3rd, next Tuesday, is when you can get your hands on The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, the book that Sam and I wrote about our experience last summer when we took over the baseball operations department of an independent league team, the Sonoma Stompers. You can pre-order the book. Make sure you get it on day one. It's already gone to a second printing because of the pre-orders that many of you folks have placed. You can do so at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or your local bookstore. It will be available on CD and on Audible a couple weeks after that. You can also pre-order that and you can order a signed copy if you'd like from stompersbaseball.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild and you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the Play Index by going to baseballreference.com and using the coupon code BP. And email us. Send us your questions or comments at podcasts at baseballperspectives.com or by messaging us through Patreon. We will be back with one more show for this week tomorrow. Fire.